You're not really supposed to have a favorite worship leader, but if I do, it's definitely my guest today. Uh, I have Seth Condry on the show today, who, as you're going to find out in the process of our conversation, is actually someone I know personally. And so that's been a lot of fun talking to him throughout this interview and actually knowing him in quote unquote real life. But here's the deal. Whether you know him or not, if you know who he is, I think at the end of this show, you are going to walk up to your worship leader and say, hey, you need to listen to this podcast because this guy, Seth Condry, is someone that every worship leader, every worship pastor should be learning from and should be listening to. Seth became well-known at North Point Church in Atlanta singing what eventually became one of the most popular worship songs of like the last five years, Death Was Arrested. He wrote You Alone, which became extremely well-known, being sung by Lauren Daigle, hit the radio, Christian radio, is all over the place. Um, Aaron Schuess sang one of his songs, No One Higher. But as you're going to learn in the process of this conversation with Seth, he doesn't really care about any of that. In fact, Seth is almost frustratingly humble, and that's one of the things I love the most about him. And as you're going to find out... His mentors and my mentors, um, there's a lot of overlap there. And ultimately, he's just a really cool guy. And so I'm so excited for you to hear the conversation that I was able to have with him, me on the East Coast, him on the West Coast. And so I really, really, really hope that you enjoy it and that you share it with someone that you know who leads worship or is a part of a worship ministry because Seth is someone who is going to be involved in teaching the next generation of worship pastors and worship leaders what it means to not chase fame, to not chase the production and the show, but to just organically and humbly worship our Lord through song. And so if you enjoy it, make sure to follow me at all things dot all people on Instagram. Make sure hit me up at Jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org. If you have any questions or comments, leave a review. Follow Seth at Seth Condry on Instagram, where you'll find out exactly what he's been up to. But I, I'm going to warn you, he's, he's super low-key. He doesn't do a ton on social media. Um, but here's the reality. I just want you to listen, enjoy, and be impacted by my friend Seth Condry. And so let's get to today's Christian thinker. All right, my next guest is a phenomenal worship leader and Dove award-winning artist. He gained notoriety while leading worship at North Point Church in Atlanta and leading well-known songs such as Death Was Arrested. He has written songs such as No One Higher, which was covered by Aaron Schust, and You Alone, covered by Lauren Daigle. He has a passion, a deep passion, for leading worship cross-culturally, being fluent in Spanish, and has helped train worship leaders all over Latin and South America. He now leads worship at Epic Church in San Francisco while continuing to help teach and train worship leaders in the United States and all around the world. It's my honor to have my friend Seth Condry on the show today. Seth, thanks for doing this, brother. Jeremy, it is my honor, brother. This is great. It's so good to be with you. Well, cool. Well, you were one of the the top people that I wanted to have on this because I want people to hear what you have to say. Um, but also, um, you know, I know you personally, but before we get into that, if, if you want to follow Seth, um, check out his Instagram at Seth Condry there in the link, you can get all the information about him and what he's doing. Um, but he's a pretty low key guy, which is one of the things I love about him the most. 
Um, and as you can probably already tell, Seth and I know each other, not extremely well, um, but one of the pastors I've been privileged to work with played a uh, large role in his life. And, and Seth, your dad actually has played a large role in, in my life. So uh, what, without giving him too much hype because he's, he's a, a nutball, but um, our boy Neil, what, what kind of role did Neil play in your life? Because I don't know that I've, nef- I've ever heard much of a story behind that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny to hear you kind of uh, rattle off some of the, the highlights or whatever, you know, in the, mm-hmm. in the intro. And uh, it, it's funny. I really I have to attribute anything that's happened in my life for good um, to how the Holy Spirit has placed uh, key people in my life, yeah. you know, throughout my life. Uh, you mentioned my dad, but you know, Neil was really good friends with my, with my dad, uh, back in the day, my, they were both youth, youth pastors. And, uh, I think dad actually mentored Neil some. Yeah. So he was a close friend of the family. Um, and not to get in too much of, of the, the story of my upbringing, but, (laughs) you know, raised, raised in church. And, uh, we had some things happen, man, like some family crisis and, um, and even, even just now looking back at our, our family, just the family of origin. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, strongholds, honestly, mm-hmm. in our family, even though, you know, man, Jesus radically changed my dad. You can't meet him without knowing that he, something happened oh, to yeah. him and then he can't get over it. Mm-hmm. But there's all this stuff around, like my grandfather's and things that had happened. I realized that there were some pretty strong uh, roots, sin, you know, sin things that had happened in my family that ended up affecting us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did. I think I had some skepticism and some faith crisis early on in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of context. You know, I get out of out of high school. I go to college, and I and something actually, an event at a church really um, confused me mm-hmm. and wounded me in a way that I just couldn't I couldn't consolidate uh, what I was seeing and had experienced in the church, the hypocrisy and things like that. A lot of people deal with this, but yeah. for me, it it, it was a just an open door to run basically away from all this stuff that I'd heard all my life and just say, you know, I don't even know if there's a God I had gotten to that place. All that to say after a really hard run in my life of falling into the hands of the enemy, you know, two of my uncles uh, who are also involved in ministry were battling addiction, meth addiction, Coke addiction, really, you know, their lives were just uh, upside down and I fell into that. I, they became my company. And, uh, and so that, that the bad company at the time started to corrupt any, any faith, hope relationship with God that I had. And then I became an addict. Yeah. So in comes Neil Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, it's crazy. It was 2005 and I, I had actually been battling a, a meth addiction. I was wrestling with it. I was trying, you know, I was in that place where 
I had gone to the edge, come back, you know, I realized that, man, this stuff's everywhere. And, um, you know, you find what you're looking for. And so I was finding all these just traps, man. The enemy was just destroying me. I was losing who I was as a son, any hope that I had of there being a God. I was, I was lost, man. I was not where I needed to be. And, uh, I hit, I hit a really kind of dangerous point, ran back to my house in Woodstock to be with my parents, just a refuge because I was scared for my life. And a couple weeks later, I get a phone call from Neil Perry. And um, I don't know how to explain it. I've, I've told this story so many times, but I remember on the phone and I've told him this, but I was so honest. I was just so brutally honest with him because I didn't know how else to be at the time. I was just desperate for a, a person who would listen. And, um, and he said on the phone, he basically was like, Seth, you're not a, you're not a meth addict. You know, you're a, I believe you're a worship leader. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he, but he invited, he invited me to come do this camp, man. Um, yeah. And Folly Beach and knowing that I was kind of a wreck, I was just lost. And, you know, ask my brother, Charlie, who at the time was grieving the loss of his uncle. He was mad at God. So you got a guy that's mad at God speaking and a guy that doesn't know if he believes in God leading yeah. worship. Yeah. That's Neil Perry. Like a, that's a solid yeah. youth pastor move right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to screw these kids up, man. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but you know what, what it was is he, he, Neil really trusts Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and he follows him. So anytime that happens in any of our lives, it, it makes quite a difference. And that's the difference between somebody who, you know, who's a religious person, uh, which we have plenty of those. And then, and then a person who walks with Jesus, they're just mm-hmm. not afraid they're not afraid of sin or they're not afraid yeah. of people's junk. And Neil's not afraid of people's junk, man. He, yeah. he embraces it because Jesus embraces it because <laughs> he embraces us. So yeah. sure enough, he sat on a, on a basement floor with me with a flashlight and just let me talk. Wow. He let me wow. talk it out. And he, you know, he said some things, but it was more of the way he loved me and the way <laughs> it's what he didn't say. Yeah. Ooh. That made a difference. And, yeah. um, cause I was looking for him to be like, Hey man, you need to pack your bags up and get out of here. You know, like, we're not going to have a worship leader smoke cigarettes. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And, uh, and he never said any of that. And mm-hmm. so I, I endured Neil Perry for, for six days, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, and then on the last day they were doing communion and I went out on the beach by myself and, um, and I got all changed and stuff, man. Yeah. And I, I heard you, I've heard you tell that story. And I remember one time you were on stage at the church where Neil and I pastored together and you said, and I've, I've been living for the Lord since, and I think I'm going to make it the rest of my life or something like that. And I remember being really impacted by you saying, I think I'm going to be able to do it. But there was a humility there that like, you were like, I mean, 
none of us can guarantee we're not going to fall tomorrow, you know? And, um, so I've always appreciated, I've always appreciated that spirit in you. And then, yeah, to, to people who are listening to don't, who don't know who we're talking about, um, Neil's just one of many guys who've been in, impactful in the lives of people like Seth and mine, who, who we've definitely been blessed in that way. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I, you know, so going from that, that beach at, at Folly beach to later on, one of the things that's most interesting to me about you uh, and it, and it has a lot to do with what I do of like, you know, teaching cross-cultural uh, ministry and, and teaching about world religions um, as difficult as it is teaching cross-culturally. Like when I travel around the world and I teach in other places, that that's super difficult. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a boy from Shelby, North Carolina, uh, having to learn how to lead something as intimate as worship in, in Latin America and South America, but you've thrived in it not just because you're fluent in Spanish. And to those who don't know, these Dove Awards that we talk about, you, you won those for recording in Spanish, but uh, you yourself are not uh, Hispanic, you know, ethnically. What were those initial experiences like uh, and what kind of difficulties are there in learning to lead worship cross-culturally? Uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. You, no, I, I, I say that, but it's, I thought it's so ironic and hilarious that like, uh, you know, I give my life to Jesus. And then six months later, the first thing I do is sign a Spanish record deal. Mm, yeah. Um, and it sounded cool at the time. Like, you know, I liked the idea of it. Like we love to romanticize like, Oh, Spanish, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but man, oh man, like, uh, God broke me, crushed me, humiliated me. Um, because, you know, I was in my second language. So, you know, missionaries understand this, but you go, you know, with such passion, you dive into the, yeah. the thing, but trying to lead people in your second language, um, causes you to, you know, you have, it forces you to be childlike. Mm, yeah. Um, you're, you know, you're, so God taught me great dependence. Just, oh, he still does. I mean, if we were doing this in Spanish, I'd be, you know, a hundred times more anxious and overthinking it going into it because I, it's like you said, I just don't know what's going to happen or if I'm going to fumble over my words or I'm going to forget a word and look stupid. Um, so all that to say, um, it was that season and I'm still in it. Uh, anytime I, do something in Spanish or lead people in Spanish. It's, it's very, very humbling and it's very wonderful all at the same time, because there is something that I love about going in, knowing that I'm weak and limited and that if, if God doesn't build the house, it's in vain. If he doesn't show up, then nothing's going to happen. Like there's no point in me trying to do anything in Spanish if, if the Holy spirit yeah. is not with me. And I think that's why I think it's in my story. It was very, um, intentional and purposeful on the side of God and his plan for me to put me first, giving even giving me success, which the success was what broke me. Mm-hmm. You know, the double words, like it sounds good mm-hmm. to have a double, double word on your resume, but that was the, the point that I was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to do a concert in Spanish. Like <laughs> so yeah. scary. 
Mm-hmm. And then the more people I was in front of, the more terrified I was, yeah. the more anxiety I got. And the more I was like, man, he broke me. So, yeah. Uh, but he also, you know, all those seasons, you know, in our lives are preparation, like, you know, the trial. It, it, to some people, it seemed like a, a success. To me, it was a trial, mm-hmm. you know. Did you but feel like an imposter? Did you feel like a fake sometimes? Yeah, I mean, just, um, you know, um, yeah, I was just kind of like, how, there's a there's a thousand people that can do this better than me. Like, why am I why am I suffering through this? Mm-hmm. And a little bit of that was just selfish. I just wanted to be comfortable, and I was yeah. prideful, so I didn't want to seem I didn't want to seem embarrassed, or, or I didn't want to get embarrassed or seem uh, like I don't know what I'm doing. You know, yeah. I wanted to seem professional mm-hmm. in, in that world, and um, and yeah. Yeah. learning my heart language is still english but and i'm once we moved to costa rica which we we ended up actually going and planning a church in 2013 um i began when i just kind of i started letting go of all of that and and i think i'm i'm getting to the place where i'm kind of reaching that spot where i don't care as much you know it's mm-hmm. like you know what like who cares <laughs> right you know yeah. like if i say a word wrong or if i get embarrassed you know you just you get older and gray and being yeah. cool is less important yeah well that's one of the things I, I love about you and that's why you know i'm hoping that there's worship leaders who are listening to this because you are somebody that i know who who had who has sort of done things that might be counterintuitive to the culture that we're in. And I mean, like you said, you have won Dove Awards. You are known internationally. Uh, you've had songs written and covered by well-known artists and, and you yourself sang Death Was Arrested, which, you know, you probably didn't see it coming, but became one of the most popular songs in American church culture in the last five years. Was there ever a moment um, in an American culture that values celebrity in the church? Uh, were you ever tempted to just lean in and get famous? Cause you had it right there in front of you, man. Like, I mean, you, you, you could have kind of take, say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get famous and, and all those things. Was there ever a temptation to do that? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, that's, you know, that's a never ending pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I realized that like getting famous you know, how famous or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's probably famous people that are still pursuing fame. Absolutely. You know, so I, that's definitely a trap. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know, I guess. Yeah. I wanted, there's probably times where I was hungering for approval or more recognition or, you know, thinking, wow, this feels good to, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's also this other, like immediately, man, the Holy spirit, like you think about Jesus, just trying to follow Jesus. Um, there's a burden, man. It's just, it is sometimes it's healthy, but there's a great burden with, if all you live for is the multitudes, Mm. you know, Jesus actually snuck away from them. Oh yeah. Uh, he, He knew that the treasure was unseen. So I think I've been pursuing that unseen thing. And, and, and again, going back to the people in my life, I hang out with enough guys that give me a clear enough vision that 
that show me that the greatest gospel I can preach is loving my wife or discipling my children. So, you know, anything that compromises that, I think over the years I've, I've been careful to walk away from it. Yeah. But I, you know, yeah, I don't know. I'm still figuring all that out. Well, and man, you, I've always seen that struggle in you and, and I've always seen you, um, shy away from it. And I remember one time, this is the best way I know to exemplify it in, in how long I've known you. Uh, you came to lead at, uh, at my church at my, you know, the church I pastor at, and it was right when you alone was really big. <laughs> and I remember me and another guy were there for your sound check and you ran through all your songs and you weren't doing you alone. And you, there's no way you remember this, but we were like, Hey man, um, do you think you're going to do you alone? And you were like, how do you guys know that song? And we were like, are you, are you kidding us? What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, and like, I remember you, I think you looked at your wife and you're like, Hey, did we bring the lyrics for you alone on the flash drive? And I was like, who the heck is this guy? You know what I mean? And, and you know, you're like, you're laughing, but I, that's, that made such an impact on me and a lot of guys that I hang out with. Cause we were like, Hey man, whether you want to admit it or not in right now, the enemy wants guys like, me and you to hunger after fame and celebrity. And we see so many guys who are our co-laborers who, when they get it, like you said, they, they only hunger for more or, or the, the, the pride that comes with that picks them off and they fall into, into sin. And when I saw you like, you know, humbly just go like, Oh, it, Oh, you guys know that song. I was like, yeah, it was on Caleb on my way here, Seth. You know, it's like, and so it was just like, and it wasn't fake to anybody who's listening. Like, and you're like, ah, oh, he's just playing it cool. It's like, and it, it wasn't fake. And so that was when I saw that in you. And that was when I, I became a really great respecter of you. Just like, oh man, I'm so glad that you guys know that song, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I've always loved that about you, but, uh, but you know, with that in mind, so like you, you have written quite a few songs uh, that people know, whether they know it's from you. And then um, I don't think you had any part in writing "Death Was Arrested," uh, but but you you got to sing it, um, which was I'm sure a lot of fun. Um, so what I, what I want to do, and you might chuckle at this, but what I want to do is I'm gonna, I'm going to read to you just a few lyrics. Um, so songs maybe that you wrote, or or maybe ones that you are well known for singing. And all I want you to do is just kind of like hit me back with maybe your first thoughts or kind of what was going on that brought about that lyric. Um, and, uh, and we'll just, we'll just go from there. Is that cool with you? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first one is, is, is a pretty well-known song, at least in the Southeast, but uh, death was arrested, of course, which like I said, you didn't write, but uh, the, the, the lyric is ash was redeemed. Only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet. My feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began. You probably sang those lyrics maybe like 2000 times over the last few years. So what goes through your mind and heart when you hear them now? You know, uh, that, that moment for, for me on the beach at Folly beach. Um, you know, I remember the words I heard for the, really the first time was you're my son and I love you. You're my son and I love you. So, you know, I, I think recognizing God as my father and redeemer, like experiencing that moment changed everything. So I, I, I can almost see that scene of me on my knees in the sand, you know, snot running down my face and just hearing those words and my orphan heart, 
was now it was almost like for the first time I didn't have to worry if God was real. I didn't have to worry if he knew who I was. I, I could call him daddy and he called me boy, you know, Seth. So, uh, every time I get to that and that's where the, you know, uh, my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. I remember feeling like light as a feather, Mm -hmm. just knowing that, um, he doesn't hold anything against me. He just loves me. So, yeah. yeah. And the old, the old things pass away. You really, you, you know, you stop identifying with that old shadow, shameful mm-hmm. voice. And, um, and you, you know, this, I think it's a process, but that's what comes to mind when I hear those lyrics yeah. is that moment. Well, that's yeah. Uh, we could keep, we could, we could keep going on that, but I, we don't want to make this about, uh, that, that one song, but, um, the next one, the next one is, a. Uh, Abundantly more, which I think is one of your more recent uh, EPs, and um, I love it so much. But this this lyric knocks me over every time. There is rest in the goodness of the Lord my God. There is treasure in the kindness of my King. There is comfort in knowing your unfailing love, my Provider. You set my spirit free. What 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 runs through <laughs> Seth Condry's heart? That's heavy, bro. I mean, that's he- that's so good. Um. You know, uh, I, 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 as a songwriter, I, I find myself just being a collector, you know, mm-hmm. of beauty. I, it's, you know, I don't know if I've originated a lot of thoughts. I just have meditated on thoughts that I, from other people or from Jesus or things. And then I try to fit them into melody and lyrics mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, actually, that rest in the goodness mm-hmm. line um, came from a challenge a mentor of mine gave me to define peace. And I was going to a solitude trip and I, he said, what do you want to get out of this? And I said, man, I need more peace in my life. And he said, what do you mean? And so I began to search for like, what, what do I mean by peace? And I came across the definition Dallas Willard, uh, wrote in a, in an article well, he actually has on his website uh, definitions and his definition of peace was resting in the goodness of God, uh, rest in the goodness of God. So that's where I, I, I took that. And I'm like, man, that's rich. So I was thinking about peace is something that we need. Um, and man, that, you know, the, the, the kindness line is just, <laughs> you know, the treasure. That that's that thing that's like, like Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. When you when you realize that the king of the universe, uh, like he owns it all. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the king of the castle, but he's your papa. You know. He's your daddy. He's mm-hmm. your Abba. So, yeah, you know, if you're, you just don't have to worry about anything. Mm-hmm. If the king of everything, like you, <laughs> you also, you're also an heir in yeah. that house. Yeah, you can go. You can go to the fridge, mm-hmm. 
you know, <laughs> yeah. you drink milk and you don't have to ask permission. Yeah. You drink it out of the container even. Right. You don't have to pour yourself a glass. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. So that's, that, there's treasure in that, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's treasure in our identity as sons and daughters. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I could, man, I could keep going on. What was the last time? <laughs> You set my spirit free, but I think we got it, bro. I mean, I I don't want to make you cry. I don't want to make you, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) get too deep. I mean, because these are, I'd imagine, I've never written a song, but I'd imagine you feel like a poet sometimes. You know, you feel like, you know, you're stringing words together, like you said, and just put melodies to them. So these are intimately personal, I'm sure. Um, and, and maybe this, I hope this one doesn't push you over the edge because I've cried with this next lyric many times myself, but it's from you alone. Um, when my heart and strength have failed me, my God, you won't, your name is mighty. I will trust in you alone. What, what's the Seth Condry heartbeat there? Mm. Uh, well, you know, that came, that was a, that was a real moment when I didn't have any strength and my heart was failing me. Mm. Um, you know, it's happened a few times, but that was the first time as a dad that I felt like I was, I was at the end of myself. So that some, some of you might know the story, but my son Titus had a severe eczema and was just basically inflamed head to toe and it got so bad that he would, he couldn't sleep and he would wake up scratching his skin raw. He was just in a really, really bad place. And, um, so in the middle of the night I got desperate, I couldn't help him. And I went just to pray and that's where that, that chorus came from. Hmm. So, um, and that's where, you know, the faith, the trust, the confidence, even in this season, but thinking, looking back, it's, it's okay for my strength to run out. Mm-hmm. I don't have to fight that. My heart does fail me. Sometimes I, I feel vulnerable and weak. And that's where Paul probably got to when he said his power is made perfect mm-hmm. in our weakness. His grace is sufficient. So... I think a lot of us, especially American people, we fight weakness. We fight vulnerability. We hate seeming like we don't have it together or that we don't know what we're talking about or whatever. Yeah. But when you, when you just ugly cry mm-hmm. um, and you say, <laughs> you know, yeah, I can't do it. Like a little, a little side note, I, uh, my wife and I, uh, my dad told me to watch this show called Alone on the History Channel. Okay. Yeah. And in in season two, I guess that's what we were watching. There's a guy that just gets so hungry and he's so worn out and he's like kind of a potty mouth, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's kind of angry. And then all of a sudden he has a breaking point where he's like, you think this guy's like, doesn't want to have anything to do with God, you know? And then, and then like 60 days in, he's like leaning over a bucket going, God, Please help me. Right. Please help me, yeah. God. And uh, and he's just desperate, man. He's just like, God, please. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, that's the kind of prayer that we need to be praying. And like right. that's that's the kind of mm-hmm. and, and and literally he got up from that spot. This is side story, but he got up from that spot and was like, he was like, My circumstances don't need to change. I need to change. Oh. 
dude. You know? Yeah. So you, you almost like God answered this guy's mm-hmm. prayer. But in that song, you alone, I, I, I was at that place yeah. where like there were wordless prayers. It was just mm-hmm. help. Um, you know, I won't fear, but like, I don't have it in me. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, um, that's what I go back to that moment. I, I, I mean, I love that song so much and it's, it's meant a lot to me and a lot of people I know. And I think I've told you this story, but it, it makes me shake my head at myself, but also just laugh too is um, I do love your dad. He and I've traveled together before we were in the Dominican Republic together and through circumstances, uh, somebody wanted somebody to lead worship. I was the only one who knew how to play chords on a guitar. So they said, Hey man, you lead worship. But earlier that day I'd been talking to your dad and I was like, Hey man, I was like, what is it like when you hear your son's songs on the radio or at church? And he specifically mentioned you alone. He was like, because I know the difficulties Seth was going through when I hear that song, it's super, super hard. And, and you know, your dad is such a, a, a I mean, not, not sensitive, but he wears his heart on his sleeve. So he's talking about, you know, it's hard for him to hold back tears and everything. And it was such, it was a, such a sweet moment listening to your dad, your dad talk about you, but then like an idiot that night, I'm supposed to lead worship. And for some reason you alone was on my mind. I was like, well, I play it and see. So we start in it and I we're sitting around this table and I hear somebody just like really, really crying. And so I'm thinking, okay, the Holy Spirit's doing something. I look over and it's your dad weeping and it came back. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm torturing this poor guy. I literally just earlier today, he told me, you know, that it was hard for him to hear this song. And, and here wow. I am just like, you know, killing him with it. But, um, and, and it's just, I mean, it says a lot about just like that songwriting, the intimate place that songwriting comes from for most guys. Um, and, you know, when you're writing a song like you alone, it's obviously full of your own experiences with God, your own experiences with your son. But then it's, it's sung to a crowd of people who then associate their own feelings and their own experiences with it, which I'm sure is difficult. But then on top of that, you hand it to someone like Lauren Daigle to sing it. When you hand that off to her, um, do you help her understand why you wrote the song or do you just allow her to associate her own feelings and experiences with it as you would most people? Yes, both. Uh, uh, I did talk to her about it when she was with us for that short season or before she got really famous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that. That's why you're, you know, definition of fame. No, but But she's legit, though. I mean, she's cool. She's so sweet, man. And she actually babysat Titus, Jonas and Lilia (laughs) uh, when we were at camp. So she definitely knew the story, but man, she just, uh, she has a way of interceding for people mm. and just, you know, obviously delivering lyrics in a way that's just an otherworldly. She's so gifted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she took that and made it her own. And yeah. that was actually the call of our leadership at North Point at the time when we were recording that night, which I'm really grateful for now. Um, Cause I just, I, yeah, I've actually connected with you alone better listening to her sing it, you know, sure. uh, going back, it's been a, it's been a source of strength for me mm-hmm. listening to her version. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine so. it's probably, you know, like when I listen to myself teach, I'm not listening to what I'm saying. I'm, Oh man, I shouldn't have said it that way. Or I said, um, too many times. I'd imagine there's freedom in hearing somebody else sing your song and you just get to worship. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you, you realize it was a gift. You know, and it's not like I've, I've written way, uh, well, many, many, many more bad songs. <laughs> sure. Where I don't want anybody hearing them or singing them. Yeah. So when you, when you get a song that comes into a moment that mm-hmm. heals and comforts, it starts to sound a little bit like the Holy Spirit mm. involved. And you just go, well, I, like, I was, I'm glad that I was faithful enough to, to flesh that out on a piano mm-hmm. and, and had the courage enough to send it to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, cause you realize it was a gift the whole time. And that's where you, you can't really boast or brag about something that you literally feel like, yeah, you're, you just happen to be faithful in a moment and God gave you a gift. And that's why songwriting in general is, it's a, it's a, a walk of faith and humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, any anything that we do, man, you know, you step into it just as courageous as a, you can be, mm-hmm. but you're always dependent on God to take it and use it. And so that's how I feel like my journey's been since 05. It's just been like, Lord, help me not to quit, you know, because most of the time it's dry and boring mm-hmm. and uninspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels like work. And yeah. then, and then there's the days that, you know, how, I don't know what happens, you know, but God just comes yeah. and touches your heart or your lips to sing something for his glory, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, so any of these things that I've been a part of, I just go, wow, like, I guess I need to keep going, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And that's why going back to what you said earlier, it's like, I think I'm going to make it, you know? <laughs> I mean, bro, seriously, that's one of my favorite things I've ever heard you say. And and I, I, I'm not saying this to disparage other worship leaders, but, um, I say this all the time and please, and, and pass this along to this guy, but when, cause I'm sure you talked to him before I will, but, um, you and your brother, Charlie Butrago, uh, mm-hmm. who, who is not biologically your brother, but might as well be. Um, yeah. I tell people all the time that, uh, those are two of the few worship leaders who, when they talk in between songs, I actually want them to keep talking. You know, it's like you, a lot of times, and I, I have a lot of worship leader friends who it's like, Hey man, you're a really gifted singer. <laughs> you're really, you know? Um, but like, but when you said that, that when you're like, I think I'm going to finish, I think I'm going to finish. I was like, man, that's humility right there. That's humility. Yeah. Um, you know, so like you said something about uh, Dallas Willard and solitude earlier and mm-hmm. you know, so somebody's listening to this, they're, they're definitely thinking, man, that Seth Condry, he's, he seems like a really cool laid back guy. And, um, I read one somewhere in, uh, in an interview where you said, I love being around people. I'm an extrovert and I'm pretty energized by being in the same room with lots of people, especially when we're singing at the top of our lungs to make the great, uh, the name of Jesus. And, and when I think of you, I definitely think of you as an extrovert, but I also know that there's a depth to you. And, um, while I know that that quote is probably still true, I know that like you said, solitude and finding space and margin in your life has become important as of late. And, and this is somewhat, this runs somewhat counter to what the modern day church culture preaches, um, which is very much just like um, work, 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 uh, you know, being community, being community. And you and I both know that those, those things are super important, but what brought <laughs> you to the place where you place a high value on solitude within life and ministry and marriage and parenting and why, why do you encourage other believers to seek that out and place a high priority on it? That's a great question. Um, so the, the simple answer would be Jesus. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 
where that where that became important in my story was the natural result of not doing that Mm -hmm. and trying to sustain ministry the natural result is burnout Mm -hmm. loneliness busyness um you know people that are around me a lot are going to hear me hear me quote dallas willard a lot because he's made Mm -hmm. such an impact but he said if you don't come away for a little while you'll come apart in a little while Mm. so i came apart and um and then begin to explore how to heal my soul how to take care of it and solitude and silence really were a gift for my wife first is how it started she said because the truth is a lot of us can learn how to do ministry well enough to where it seems like we've got it together, but uh, the home life is where it really makes a difference. Yeah. So, you know, I can, I can, you know, I may be freaking out on the inside on stage, but I've got lights and cameras or, you know, whatever, like even preaching, you know, we got notes, like we can hold it together, but it's when you get home and your kids are pulling at you and you, you know, that's when, when the rubber really meets the, meets the road. And I think my wife realizing that I needed, I needed to slow down. Mm-hmm. She, she gifted me with a three night little cabin getaway in the middle of nowhere. And that's, you know, I spent three days in silence with a Bible and a, in a journal. And actually she gifted me a little book to help me go through that, which is called an invitation to silence and solitude by Ruth Haley Barton. I highly recommend that for anybody who's new to that. Um, and so I, I describe that time. I went in very dry, very anxious, fearful of, you know, in the first six hours I, I was planning what I would do if I had a heart attack like stupid stuff. Like what if I die out here? There's no hospitals. Like, I don't know where to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so ridiculous. So, uh, but then, you know, 48 hours in, I started to feel an expansion that was other. It was me, but it was, I, I started to recognize what my soul was. It showed up. I didn't even know I had one for real. I just knew like David, wrote about it in Psalms. I said, you know, bless the Lord on my soul. But I never experienced what my soul was like. Mm. I actually gave it a name. I wrote it in my journal. But but it showed up and it was almost like it was shriveled up and dry and deep inside my center, like in my spirit. And as I sat, longer I sat and the longer I meditated and the longer that I prayed in the sense of just being with God, not like nothing religious. I mean, when you're really by yourself, yeah, no pretending or performing. So you, you get free from that, which mm-hmm. we all need to be free from that. But by the time I left, even in three days, I felt like I was inside of this bubble of care and love and nurture. And I felt like my soul was the thing that integrated all the other parts of me, my mind, my heart, my body, my social context. It made me feel way more present, connected to other people. Um, at just at home in my in myself with God, I just was not restless, and so silence and solitude 
from that experience became a necessary part of just life with God. I mean, it was like, why, why would, how did I survive without this is what I thought. Yeah. And I really didn't. I think I just, I do what most people do. I just, I was self-medicating a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. melatonin at night, you know, you know, too much wine here and there. Like Mm -hmm. you just start to, you're not really well, you're just managing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, I'm, I, I tell people I am a recovering, uh, reputation and image manager. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm recovering from a life of trying to manage my life. And I think it's, I think it's going okay. (laughs) I think you're doing pretty all right. Um, (laughs) You know, man, like, do you feel like, you know, hearing you say that makes me think about just even my own experiences. And do you think that too often, whether it be a worship leader, a pastor, teacher, whatever it might be, you know, our gifting, our talents that the Lord has given us is talking, is singing. Do you think like, we sometimes struggle with like, if I'm not doing those things, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm worthless. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. This season, this season, I think if anybody's honest, like just losing, losing the mm. crowds is, is probably pressed on that a little bit. I know it's cut me to the heart. It's made, it's made me realize, you know, Oh, we didn't just come to church for that. You know I mean? Mm. Cause, cause you know, I mean, I don't know how you feel out there in, in a new setting in San Francisco, but you know, it's like, am, am, are we going to be fulfilled whenever we have our rooms full again? And it's like, man, it just doesn't seem like that's what I'm missing. Actually. It's I'm not missing the crowds. It's, I mean, you are, you are right though. I got in my flesh I am, but then I'm like, Lord, am I actually going to be fulfilled whenever we get that back? Cause it seems like I actually miss that koinonia, that, that, that genuine community a lot more. Um, and so I think, I think we do make too much of, of our gifting as our talents. And it's like, the Lord's like, I've made you a teacher. I made you a phenomenal worship leader, but I'm really just more concerned with you. And I just want to be with you. Just like you said, I mean, like you can call me dad Mm -hmm. and and he's not concerned with us performing. You know, I see that so much in you. Um, and, and like, I know that part of your heart is, is teaching other worship leaders that, and you know, man, like. Um, without, you know, going over it too much more, like you sort of left an opportunity to continue to, you know, put yourself in positions that would benefit you from a, a reputation standpoint, like you said, and now you're in a little bit more of a small setting, but I know that part of your heart is, is teaching other worship leaders. Um, and I, I truly believe the Lord's going to put you in a unique position in the years to come to speak into worship leaders lives. But like, if there's a worship leader listening to this, as we wrap up, who is like, I want to be, I want, I hear something in Seth that I want in me. What kind of encouragement and advice would you give to young worship leaders coming up in this culture? What comes to mind is another Dallas thing, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to send him royalties after this is a state. Like, uh, it's like, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, dude, seriously. Uh, and Yeah. I could, I could say a few things about that, but the, this is, this is the reason that we're talking about Dallas, I believe since he's passed. And that and the reason so many authors and leaders have been influenced by him is because he said, and this is true, who we are becoming, the 
the kinds of people that we are becoming or who that we are is infinitely more important than what we do. So at the end of the day, the person that you're becoming on the inside is just the most important part of you. It's the most important aspect of your life. So for any worship leader, I mean, if you have a platform, um, be diligent, work hard, but the, but the work needs to be about being transformed and becoming like Jesus and to believe that that's possible. It really is possible. And I think the goal is to become the kinds of people that naturally and easily do what Jesus said we can do. Now that's going to flesh out in different ways. I've realized that I told my kids, you know, sinners all end up just alike. Mm -hmm. Uh, It all leads to the same place and they're just painfully similar Mm -hmm. stories, but saints, people who are surrendered to the kingdom of God are, you know, just extraordinarily unique in every way. Like, their stories are unique. Their giftings are unique. It's like, like I told him, it's like a billion colors of a, of a, a rainbow. It's, it's, you know, endless flavors that just soak into the fabric of society. And so we did, but that's, that's going to be focused on not the, the rat race of doing mm-hmm. for God, but being with him and being like him and transformed by him and, and, I mean, dude, I'm sitting here. That is a daily, a daily struggle and decision. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've had moments this week that I woke up, my chest is tight because I got a lot to do. Or, you know, and then or or I just want to be impressive or like get people's approval, even at my you know, my job. I just want them to be like, hey, good job, or yeah. thanks for communicating that with perfect detail, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it is, and I get anxious about it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then I hear Jesus say, unless you become like a child, you won't see the kingdom of God. You won't inherit it. And then I'm just like, no, like, <laughs> like, don't let me be old. You know? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. help me to be, help me to trust you and to, you know, and I, I'm getting emotional about it because like, man, he cares about who we are. Mm-hmm. In every way, uh, Jesus cares about who you are, um, and he—he's happy to empower what you do, uh, to infuse your songs or your messages with 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 power and grace. Like he's happy to give you that. But the most important part is that we become the kinds of people who who could ask for anything and that could handle that success. Cause don't we all know enough stories of people who've had success, yeah. but what, what good did they do to the kingdom or to, or to their family or to the church? Like, I think we're at a time where, where we, you know, the crowds, they can't be the focus. The focus has got to be that quiet father son time. When, when Jesus would heard the voice of his own daddy saying, you're my beloved son. And I'm pleased with you. And then Jesus says, well, I'm going to go destroy demons then. Yeah, sure. 
Like, I'm going to go heal people mm-hmm. for your glory. My will is to do your will, Father. I don't mm-hmm. even have, like, Jesus's will was to do the will of the Father. And that was a joyful experience for him. But that was born out of who he was, not. And, and even, even think, of, if we're followers of Jesus, you know, I heard this last night. He goes and he, he heals a leper and then he says, don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, or even raising from the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I heard Dallas say one time, the first thing I'd do if I, you know, I'd go straight back to Pilate and say, hey, can we have that conversation about truth again? Right on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dude, you know, I think what I love about you, and this is what I want people to just, you know, hear as we finish up is at the at the beginning of this, you know, I read off your credentials and that's just what you're supposed to do. But honestly, at the end of this, I, I say, that, you know, if there's anybody that I want to be blessed and be put in front of crowds, it's guys like you that aren't hungry for it. And so I do think, man, the next 10 to 20 years of your ministry and your marriage and and you being a a father are going to be even more fruitful than the last 15 have been, which is pretty impressive because it's been a fruitful 15 years for sure. And, um, but, but dude, if you, I hope that you get put in front of worship leaders generations on because we need to see an army of worship leaders and pastors and teachers and, and, and all sorts of ministers hear from, from guys like you messages like, like that. And so I, I'm so appreciative of you just as a person, but I'm also appreciative of you doing this. And I hope that the Lord blesses everything that we've said today and that it's uh that some people take it and really run with it. And so I, I really did. I really appreciate you. And, uh, I'm so thankful for the time that you've given me today, bro. Dude, thank you so much. This is this has been a joy, bro. And just keep, you know, let's keep praying for one another, you know, yeah. that, that we'll finish well. And mm. however many years we've got left that, you know, that we'll just love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself. So please yeah, keep man. praying for me. Absolutely. And, to, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, to anybody listening to this, just, be praying for Seth as he's out in uh, San Francisco, just doing the Lord's work and trying to trying to show people Jesus with how he sings and how he writes and how he is a husband and father and all those other things. So thanks for, thanks for doing this, bro. Yeah, man. Love you, Jeremy.